listening to Crossing Streams, the nature-made podcast where Crossing Streams is socially acceptable. And now, here are the hosts of Crossing Streams, Critter Cast and Tall Grass Tony. My gosh. Tony, how are you? I'm doing so well. This is, I can't believe the day is finally here for our very first live recording. Awesome. Me too. Where are we at, Tony? We are here in Carroll County at the Fall IAN Workshop. Pretty exciting. What is IAN? I don't know what that is. IAN is the Iowa Association of Naturalists. It is a dues, it is a member group of environmental educators across the state. Most, a lot of people are from county conservation, but there's people from nonprofits, from the DNR, from, you know, different types of education folks. So all around the best people on earth. And we offer some really dope trainings, don't we? Oh, so much dope. I've been to three of them now. Um, I started in 2020, and this is my second um, fall IAN that I've been to, and it's been phenomenal. I've gotten a takeaway from people who I've met and connected with, and then the speakers are always phenomenal. I've never been to a session where I'm like, I didn't get anything out of that. So. And you and I met at a summer IAN up in Minnesota. We did. Really I think that was the last time we saw each other, too. It was the last time. I was really uh, excited to see you in person, and congratulations on your big your nuptials. They're uh, getting married. Was it last week you got married? Yeah, like Saturday. So. So what do we call you now? I, I know. Um, Still Crittercast. Crittercast. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and this is also the first time that Tony and I have recorded in person. If you guys listen to the podcast at all, we do it on Zoom. So sometimes there's these like awkward pauses where uh, the audio quality cuts in and out. So this is very exciting to have us on the same level in person. Just loving it. I'm so excited. You have no so, idea how excited I am. I know. I'm like literally shaking. Um, can we get like a big woo from the audience? Yeah, yeah we've got a whole bunch of really great naturalists and educators here with us today, and we are going to be sharing some wacky, wild stories. Are you guys ready? Yeah, good know what. Yeah, go. there we go. Right? So you as naturalists, I know that everyone here has encountered so many different experiences and stories in the field alone with students, with coworkers, and just what I've experienced in my professional life, man, I could tell you a lot of stories, right? But I know you all have great stories to share and here pretty quick, we're gonna get to some of those stories. Heck yeah. Um, let's start off with the one that was sent in here by Emma Jacobs. Um, it's kind of lengthy. Uh, she typed it out. So um, I'm just going Let's to best. gonna read it to you guys, okay? Little, uh, little like teach reading to my kiddos moment. All right, from Emma. Hi everyone, my name is Emma and I have been a naturalist for a little over two years now. I began my journey as a naturalist intern for Saragordo County for six months, then returned somewhat home to Scott County Conservation to be their Iowa 4-H AmeriCorps environmental educator. In June, I finally had my breakthrough into the world of adults um, working as the assistant naturalist and office manager for Almackey County Conservation. The story I'm going to share with you takes place when I was in Scott County. Despite growing up on the Mississippi River, I did not have any real experience paddling when I first started there. My supervisor, Dave Murica, asked me if I wanted to attend kayaking school through the Iowa DNR, and I jumped on the opportunity. I did spend the summer helping with kayaking classes, but in August, I set out to develop my skills even more. Now, a couple things about me that are kind of important to this story. Number one, I have a little bit of anxiety when trying new things. But, I, um, but I'm always ready to try them. I just might not be super confident when I'm actually doing it. Number two, I'm a plus size, so smaller cockpitted white water kayaks that we were using were not my friend, and the spray skirts made it even worse. Day one was pretty uneventful. 
When we were on the lake and did a lot of paddling in a wet exit with a splash skirt to practice rescuing ourselves in case we tipped while we were on the river the next day, I successfully saved myself and was, well, for the most part, ready for the river day. Day two had me quite nervous. My instructors and classmates were very encouraging and supported me through the paddle. The tricky part that had me really nervous was navigating the rapids with the water current. When I made it down to the first rapid, I was so proud of myself. I faced one of my fears. I... Sorry. I absolutely crushed it. What I didn't crush was ferrying across the bottom of the rapid to the other side of the river. When I began to panic, like many with anxiety do, retweet girl, um, and flip my kayak right below the rapids, luckily I had my helmet on, otherwise that first rapid was go wasn't going to be the only thing I crushed. I was so disoriented from the rushing water and hitting my head on the rocks that I could not find the loop to release my skirt. I was panicking. Then I reached down to the bottom of the river and tried to push myself up, but that didn't work either. I was not sure how long I was under, but it felt like an eternity. Finally, I pulled myself together enough to search for the pole loop on the skirt one last time, and luckily, I found it. I emerged out of the water, gasping for air with tears in my eyes. This was probably the most traumatic moment of my life. I did not want to get back in right away, so after a little break, an instructor and I floated down the Des Moines River until I got enough courage to get back in, but my body was trembling the entire time. We came upon another rapid, and I knew I was not confident enough to go down it the rest of the way back. Somehow, I passed the class and got my certificate. I think they felt bad for me, honestly. Not all bad came from this experience. During kayaking program later that year, one of the students was a little nervous to go out. I ended up talking with them about my experience with kayaking school while everyone else got into their kayaks and assured them that as long as they stayed calm and confident, nothing bad would happen. We, wouldn't make, we, bleh, we would make sure of it and that even though it was probably one of the scariest things I had ever experienced, I was super nervous beforehand, I am still happy that I gave it a shot. Hopefully my experience will help others in the future, not only with paddling, but for those young, just starting out naturalists, just like me, to understand that it's okay not to be great at everything um, when it comes to the outdoor recreation. Paddling on rivers may not be my strong suit, but there are plenty of other things that I excel at. Girl, we love confidence. Oh yeah. And I hope the fish in the Des Moines River liked my glasses as much as I did, because I'm not getting them back. Now that the scary is out of the way, I wanted to share a few quotes from students that I've saved on my phone. Under, kids say the darndest things. The first one comes from when I was trying to have um, kids guess the name of the turtle species. I started saying names of famous painters. And finally, I got my personal favorite artist, and I said, think about Bob Ross. What kind of turtle do you think it is? to which the kids replied in a very confident voice, a happy little accident. It's <laughs> pretty good, I love it. Another turtle story I was talking about, the Eastern Box Turtle and how they weren't found from here, um, or weren't from around here. I said that they were from areas like Pennsylvania and New Jersey. A kid blurted out, I've seen a movie about Transylvania, and then proceeded to explain the, the plot of Selena Gomez and Adam Sandler's animated film, Hotel Transylvania. I am frequently given stickers in the occasional party invitation that turns out to be just a blank piece of paper, and that is just from a little over two years of experience working as a naturalist. I can't imagine what the next 30-plus will bring. Thank you, Emma, for sending in that awesome story. Well done, girl. All right. Man, dealing with whitewater can definitely be scary things, right? Yeah. Like, oh, man. One time I, well, I tried swimming in the Firehole River in Wyoming, oh. and, like, not a very strong, confident swimmer, and yeah, very similar, upside down in the water, very scared, still, oh still kind of shaky of water to this day. Yeah, All right. Water's cool. intimidating. 
Well, thank you, awesome. Emma. Oh my gosh, we have six people signed so up. So many people. I bet I bet more people will come up. You'll get confidence. You'll come on up. Right, who should we bring on up? Oh man. Jen signed up first, but do you want to have Matt Crean or should we just start out with uh, with Jen? <laughs> Let's bring Jen on up. Everyone Woo! give Jen a big round of applause. <laughs> All right, Jen, take a seat and introduce you a really quick brief introduction and we'll want to hear your story and yeah. And kind of get close to the microphone like this. Like if your mouth touches it a little bit, ain't no worries, girl. Oh, cuddles. All right. So I'm Jen. I've been a naturalist for 12 years. And before that, I was a classroom teacher for five years. So watching children grow and develop and go through all their paces of learning and their brains expanding is always fascinating. But one thing that has always struck me is how are fears born? Because we have people that come into the nature center and immediately come unglued because there's a snake on the premises. Cue deep sigh and eye roll. I can't help but wonder, who hurt you? Where did this come from? I'm sorry. <laughs> so in my early years as a naturalist, I was also becoming a mother. And one beautiful, sunny October afternoon, everybody is out in the field. I am the only person in the nature center. And I go downstairs to do something. Our nature center is on two levels. So downstairs, the doors have always been kind of crap. There's always been little gaps in the doors. And on this beautiful Sunday, Friday afternoon in October, there's a tiny little brown snake, a little decay snake, working its way from one end of the foyer to the other downstairs. And I am excited, but I am also nine months pregnant. And I am gonna get this snake, all right? Can you imagine all waddle, waddle, stoop, waddle, waddle, stoop? It's not easy. I got it. I caught that little snake and I was so triumphant. And in my joy and in my little arm pump, I realized I, my water broke. <laughs> so I have my snake. And what is my priority in that moment? Not to call for help. No, I need a picture of the snake. <laughs> so I'm gonna go take a picture of this snake. Very calmly put it back out. So proud of myself, I caught this snake. And also like, well shit, I'm the only person in the office for like two hours. So I wait for everyone to come back in from their field trips and from their field work. And I'm sitting in my office manager's chair and they're like, how are things going? I'm like, great, how was your field trip? And we eventually get to the point where like, so I think my water broke. <laughs> They're all like, what are you doing? So I end up having this wonderful little boy, and time goes on, and of course he's a naturalist child. If he isn't filthy, like, is he okay? Like, is he sick? So um, cue another beautiful day a few years down the road, and this tiny little blonde-haired boy with the flippy curls and the giant blue eyes, and he is so excited, running down the driveway, mama, mama, and he's holding this tiny little brown snake, a little decay snake, and I know that this is one fear that will never be born. Oh my gosh. Oh, thank you so much. Hey, hey Jen, before you leave, uh, what, what's your smell today? What's your smell? Oh, yeah. It's when you get into that dark, damp part of the understory of the woods and you go from sweet prairie grasses to that earthy funk. Earthy yeah. funk. Everyone give it up for earthy funk. Woo! Oh, that was probably loud. Yeah. All right, we are going to bring up the very first professional Iowa naturalist. So we're the, if we all have a common ancestor, Mike is that common ancestor. What's it? <laughs> 
bring Mike on up. Here we give Mike a round of applause. Before you get too comfortable was, with your story, guys, you're good. I want to make sure everybody gets to hear. Right. It was it was early in the season, and um, normally we held uh, the event um, the at the end of April, and um, that's one of the neat things about going um, to an event like that um, that you learn from a lot of people and that you're in a different area and you're tasting different things, wild edibles. And one of the plants that I hadn't eaten yet was, um, pokeweed. Pokeweed, uh, well, (laughs) you need to know what you're doing. It's not a, a plant that you mess around with. But um, it is a plant that um, several communities in the south, southeastern United States, where I grew up, had uh, pokeweed festivals. And uh, I went out with the, a person by the name of Mike Rasnake uh, from Virginia Beach, Virginia. And he said, let's uh, see if we can find some shoots. In the spring of the year, the shoots come up, but um, we'd had snow early in the spring. And so we um, looked on the hillside where the snow had been, and we found some old pokeweed. And we thought, let's take a look and see if there are any little shoots uh, beginning to crop up. We found lots of them. They were white and about that long. And we, um, Mike um, Rasnake had done the cooking before. And he said, um, you have to boil them, and, but for a very short period of time. He had grown up eating them, and so he had a tolerance. I had not grown up eating them, (laughs) and I didn't have a tolerance. But um, he he cooked them in peanut oil, and um, they got the uh, peanut oil uh, boiling, and I had taken uh, some Piggly Wiggly wraps that you can um, roll things up in, and put a um, paint it at the top with and the bottom with um, egg wash and so it sticks together and so I took these uh, small uh, wraps and um, he dropped them into the boiling oil And I said, don't you have to cook them longer than that? Because everything I'd heard about pokeweed was that you needed to cook it for a while. And he said, no. He said, uh, actually, 
because it's relatively white and it's just come up from under a snow cap. Um, these should be beautiful. And um, he cooked up a bunch of them for 45 seconds. And so I, um, I thought, well, don't you have to cook them any longer? And he said, no, no. He said, um, drain them and try them. And I tried them, and I'll tell you, one of the things that happened <clears throat> was that my stomach began jumping around. <laughs> and I had a little problem sleeping at night, and so I was getting ready to um, drive all the way back to Michigan. I was near Ann Arbor. And um, I, I, I couldn't hold it any longer. <laughs> I was alone, fortunately. But my blue jeans never looked the same. <laughs> I, th I think we know what smell we're all thinking of. <laughs> John, John Kalis uh, wrote a little story uh, about this. An unpublished experience eating poke, the case of the traveling diarrhea. <laughs> One person tried to batter and fry the cut up raw poke stem without boiling first and served it at a potluck. I guess I was the only person that ate it, but, but it was delicious. I, I couldn't believe how good it was. <laughs> but um, I found the nearest McDonald, and I used all the toilet paper. <laughs> and I, I thought I'll get some, um, some of the little um, uh, Pepto-Bismol tablets so uh, mm -hmm. you can chew on. I chewed on them, and it didn't help. <laughs> I made it to the next town, and um, I used up all the toilet paper and, and, and the Arby's. <laughs> so it, it was an experience, but fortunately, uh, my, uh, since I was driving all the way back to Michigan, it was 600 miles back, if you can imagine, 600 miles, and uh, well, you can't help yourself. <laughs> You try to open the door and get out and go down to a culvert, and you can't make it. <laughs> and so just as soon as I got back, I made sure no one was, was in the house. Um, and I went up the steps, and I, I thought, ooh, I hope I can make it to the shower. Well, I, what am I talking about? I couldn't make it. <laughs> and so um, it took um, about six months to deodorize my car. Oh my gosh. <laughs> All right, everyone give it up for Mike. Thank you, Mike. Man. Man, nature's Taco Bell, I'll tell you what. You know, you know when you're like driving down the interstate and they'll have like national trails or like designated scenic byways? I think, <laughs> I think the route that Mike took to, up to Michigan should be called the Pokeweed Trail. I think it should be as well. Rename, petition to rename it. All right, we're going to bring up another storyteller. This storyteller is someone who I first met when I was a student at Hawkeye Community College back before I had a beard, and I would call this man my beardspiration. Everyone give it for Matt Crane. 
All right. So this story comes from when I was a uh, naturalist intern in Hardin County in the Iowa Falls area. And uh, there were a couple young boys. One was probably four or five, and the other was probably seven or eight. And so it's kind of a little bit of a two-part story. But uh, uh, I was doing a day camp with Wes Weiss, who was one of the naturalists at the time there, and he's the director now. But uh, we were going to take the kids down to a, a creek that emptied into the Iowa River. And there's a little bridge about 100 feet uh, from, or 100 yards maybe, from the, uh, where the creek dumped into the river. And we were just going to do something simple. We were just going to fill in some animal tracks with plaster. And uh, yeah, so pretty easy task, right? Well, we were hiking down there with the kids, and Wes realized that we forgot the plaster. So I, being the intern, jogged up the hill and uh, got the plaster and uh, grabbed the John Deere Gator UTV and drove back down there. And I just beat them down there. And uh, so we're headed over there, and I'm green as can be. I've not really worked with kids. So my first, one of my first intern experiences, and uh, uh, Wes has them. There's a, the little bridge is just a sidewalk that goes right across the river. And uh, the kids are instructed to walk out there, have a seat, and watch us while we do the work with the plaster. How, what, how old were the kids? The kids were probably four to five years old. So they're, they're pretty young, they're preschoolish age. And uh, so yeah, little guys, little guys and gals. And uh, so I didn't really get any instruction on what to do. So I'm just kind of watching Wes from the other side of the bridge. And uh, I'm like, okay, I can see that. And then I look up and standing and leaning over the edge of the bridge is little Joe. And uh, I'll exclude the last name, you know, since it's a publishing deal. But, uh, <laughs> but little Joe's leaning out over the creek and looking down, and then he just tips over. And he goes straight into the water and psh, immediately surfaces like an Olympic diver <laughs> and scurries up the bank and comes back and sits down in that same spot he was supposed to be sitting at uh, to start and uh, doesn't say a word. None of the kids say a word. I'm sitting there with my mouth hanging open, just like, what in the heck just happened? And uh, Wes looks over at me. He must have heard the splash or something. And uh, he's like, what's going on? And I said, little guy fell in the water. And so Wes looks up at the bridge, and he kind of peers around, finds the wet kid, and he says, hey, you're OK, right? And the kid immediately goes into heavy breathing and goes, uh, I want to go home. <laughs> and little Joe had a very raspy, deep voice for a four-year-old or so. <laughs> and uh, so Wes is like, take him up in the gator. Uh, there was, I lived in an apartment in the basement of the Nature Center. Uh, so I grabbed him a shirt of mine and a towel. And there was a washer and dryer down there as well. So I took his shirt off, threw it in the dryer, got it started. I looked back and little guy's starting to undo his pants. And I said, no, 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 buddy. <laughs> the pants stay on. And, uh, and he's like, why? And I was like, they just do. So, uh, so gave him the towel. He dries off as much as he can. There's only about 20 minutes left of the day camp. And uh, so we go upstairs and I'm just hanging out, chatting Joe up and, uh, Sarah gives us the big cookie that they were supposed to get at the end of the day camp. And so he's munching on that, having a good time. And uh, Sarah had called the folks and everything was good. They'll just pick them up. And um, 
of course, I'm sitting there talking, and he's, you know, a young, young child. He uh, has inquisitive questions like, hey, Matt, what's your favorite animal? <laughs> he, does, he sounded just like that. I can only imagine how gruff he is now. But, um, but uh, I said, oh, I don't know, Joe. There's so many cool animals out there. Uh, do you have a favorite? What's your favorite? My favorite is a jaguar. <laughs> And I was like, oh, why is that? And I'm guessing most of you know exactly why a kid named Joe would pick an animal like the jaguar. But uh, he says, well, jaguar starts with J, and, and so does Joe. And I said, oh, cool, same letter, right? He's like, yeah. So uh, anyway, everything was fine. He had his cookie. His parents picked him up. Everything was good. Uh, about a month later, I was doing a live animal program at the Eldora Library, and guess where Joe and his brother John live, Eldora, and uh, I knew both of them from day camps, and uh, going around with different animals, you know, doing the, the same old thing, letting the uh, kids touch the animals that they're appropriate to touch, and uh, last animal, of course, was a fox snake, and uh, walking around with that, talking about how fox snakes are constrictors, and swallow their prey hole and all that, and got a hand that shoots up. It's his, Joe's older brother, John, also gruff voice. And uh, I said, yeah, John, what's going on? And he says, could a snake eat a jaguar? <laughs> <laughs> and I could not hold that in. I laughed for about a minute and a half, I think. And, uh, but yeah, that's my, that's my little brothers from Hardin County joke, or story. Everyone give Matt a round of applause. Thank you so Matt, much, Matt. Um, before you go, what, what's your smell? Uh, I don't know if I have one in particular, but I gave it a little bit of thought while the other two were up here, and I'm going to go with wild plum flowers wild when they're plum. blooming in the spring. Now. Is this some hand soap you used this morning or beard balm or something like that? No, uh, just, just one of those great smells. You kind of realize the world's waking up again. I so. love that. Good. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks so much, Matt. All righty. Coming down the list, it looks like we have Chris Atkins. Everyone give Chris a big round of applause. Um, I, I think this is like the first IAM that I've actually like interacted with Chris, maybe a little bit. And I walked in late to the wilderness roundtable discussion and I have to share my favorite quote that I heard in my entire life. Um, and it was just parking lot wieners. That's what I walked into and I'm going to use it forever. So here's Chris Atkins. Hey, thanks. <clears throat> a little hard to follow uh, breaking water and breaking other directions. So. <laughs> but thanks for the opportunity to do this. The story I'd like to share is a lesson that I learned really young on in my career as a naturalist, and maybe it's something to be useful to all of you friends out there. But uh, almost 30 years ago, Dallas County started an event called Prairie Awakening. And it came when we were sitting and having a reckoning about our ecosystem restoration work and we were asking ourselves, are we accomplishing our goals? Are we really bringing prairie back? And right seed mixture, right prairie regiment. We were seeing birds that were coming back, indicators, there were uh, inverts and what have you. But we had to honestly say, you know, no, some, something's not missing. We're not really accomplishing the goal of restoring wildness here. And when we ask ourselves what it was, the answer was people. And we realized that if we don't bring people back to seeing themselves as part of this and part of wildness and part of Iowa's heritage, it was all for naught. 
So we asked ourselves, well, how, how do we get people to come back to prayer? And our answer was, let's bring back the first stories, the first songs, music, dance of the prairie. And so we invited uh, native folks <clears throat> from nations that were Great Plains, Iowa nations, and had them come to our prairie and prairie awakening. We were awakening the prairie. So an outshoot of that was, well, let's do an educator's day. Let's turn the Middle Raccoon River the Friday before the event into a classroom. And so we got about 40 teachers and they came and we floated the river and we had native presenters staged along bars down the river. And one of them that was staged there was a drum from Canada, a Nishnabi drum. And so the teachers rolled in and it was right at our hanging rock area. And one of the coolest phenomena is as they were playing the drum, there's a 70 foot outcropping of sandstone and all the teachers kept jabbing me saying, who's the other drum? And I said, what other drum? They said, can't you hear it? It's up there on that hill. I said, there's not a drum up there. But when the Nishnabi were done drumming, they said, do you have a second drum up there? And they said, no, that's the spirit drum. And that's the first time that that drum had been heard in that river valley for probably six generations. So that in and of itself was very cool. But they then shared what they were there to do along with sharing their drum was to talk about education from an indigenous way of knowing. And so they talked about the importance of elders and oral history and music and dance and an immersion into a culture. And it was, it was really valuable to the teachers. They were gonna carry a lot of that back into their classrooms and no longer teach about native people second-handedly, but talk about these friends that they'd made. But one teacher that I'd worked with for a number of years raised her hand and she said, what's the most important lesson you would like us to carry home from this experience? And a Anishinaabe woman took control of that and she said, I'll tell you what the most important lesson, so everybody had their pencil ready, boy, they were gonna all record this. She said the most important thing, and this is a lesson I learned and hopefully it'll be valuable to you, she said the most important lesson that we can tell you to share is to make sure that every learner you work with knows that you love them. And if you do that, everything else that you're trying to do will work. And I thought, damn, that is pretty simple. That, that really, there's some magic here. Because I remembered when I was a youngster, I wasn't particularly lovable. And there were teachers that really touched me and the reason that they touched me is for some reason they saw something of worth in this worthless piece of crap that I was as a kid. And I knew that they, they, I wasn't just there, I was somebody they loved and they wanted to do that. So every time, you know, a busload of kids rolls off at your conservation area and you get to have a field day with them, look at them as they come and especially as they leave and ask yourself, I wonder if that kid would say that that uh, Tony loves me at the end of that day. And uh, I think that makes our work as naturals pretty stinking simple, you know. If we originate from that point, everything else we're trying to do is going to work. So it's been a tenet of mine that I've carried and I've had kids come up and tell me that are, you know, parents now that, you know, I don't think anybody else really liked me very much when I was a kid, but remember that day we were floating the river how come you like me so much because hmm, i paid attention to that old nishinaabe woman 
and listen to her lesson. So thanks. Glad to share it. Thank you, Chris. Oh, I'd say smell is uh, the smell of last night's uh, campfire and friends around it. And it makes you remember all of those other campfires. I forget who I was standing with last night, but staring down into that fire and, and how you can just get lost in it. And it's fun to be in a group of people where you know that some of them are lost in those embers too. And so that smell stays with you, as you know, Tony, for quite a while. So. Thanks, you guys. Thanks, Chris. Thank you so much, Chris. All righty. Our next speaker signed up here um, is not a new podcast guest, but she's one of our favorites. So come on up, Allison Noderft with Nahant Marsh. Everyone give Allison a round of applause. Heck yeah. Nobody wants to cuddle Tony today. You'll cuddle, cuddle Tony? All right, so after Chris's super insightful story, I'm going to cause a ruckus. So um, we do a, before every field trip, we go into the school and we do this PowerPoint presentation. We call it Wetland Wonders. And it's just like a preview, like what you're going to expect, what you're going to see. And there's a slide with birds on it, and two of the birds are wood ducks. Wetlands are really important to wood ducks, so we really focus on them. And I ask the kids, which duck is which? They usually know. So... We're done, and the kids are looking at all the cool stuff I bought, brought, and this little girl comes up, and she looks at me, and she goes, we have ducks in our pool. And I'm like, oh, that's awesome. She goes, sometimes the colorful duck gets on the gray duck and pushes it underwater. And I'm like, oh, man, how do I, how do I handle it? She goes, what are they doing? I'm like, well, they're making baby ducks. And she looks at me and puts her hands on her hips and goes, that can't be right, and storms off. And I was like, well, I just dodged a bullet there. <laughs> I hate getting asked <laughs> what oh, animals are doing when they're reproducing. That's one thing that I'm so damn awkward about. I'm like, I'm just having like, fun. <laughs> she was a third grader. I was like, what do I do? How do I handle this? I like looked for the teacher. The teacher's nowhere to be found. I'm like, well, here we go. <laughs> So she did not like my answer, though. She was not accepting. Like, That's bullshit, man. That's no baby doing. ducks in her pool. No yeah. baby ducks in her pool. You think that she'd be excited because baby ducks are cute. Right. You would love that, but no. No. She kind of traumatic. I mean, like, to the third grader's mind who hasn't been exposed to that, like, it looks like a pretty, you know, traumatic event to, to, the, to the hen duck, you know, so. Yeah, yeah. And she was just Thank like, you. No. And I never saw her again. I don't know where she went in the room, but she, she was gone. Mm. And I was like, all right, I got to go. I got to get out of this room <laughs> before another kid comes up here and asks me something. I'm like, I got to go. That's awesome. I had a... This, it kind of tangentially reminds me of something that happened to me once. There was, I, I did this program once in a while um, about, like, dangerous animals, right? You know, we go through all these different animals, and we have all the big scary ones. And, we talk, and I play this game show called How Many Do They Kill in a Year? You know, and then we go through all these animals, and I have the kids, the kids guess how many people on average in the United States do these animals kill per year? And then, you know, I pull up the picture of the wolf, and everyone's like, 150, you know, and blah, 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 and goes on and so forth. And long story short is the big predators aren't that dangerous, cats and dogs, livestock. And I told, I told the, the number of how many humans domestic horses kill in the United States in a year, and this very similar girl was this, little, this young lady was not okay with it. And then later on that day, um, 
this is when I was working up in Minnesota, so they would stay with us for like almost, you know, three days, right? She handwritten me a letter, and she says, she comes to me, she hands it to me, she says, I want you to read this. And I'm, I thought it was gonna be like a thank you note or something, I'm like, oh, cool. And then I started reading it, and it was like, it read something along the lines of like, I am so utterly devastated by the information that you gave me. And she like wrote this huge list and like, <laughs> and how like, I utterly shocked and altered her point of view on life and not for the better. And I just said, oh man, I'm sorry. And I kind of just walked away. <laughs> but I, I would say I do love that student. I do love that student, so. Conservation is brutal. And I think we scare kids a little bit sometimes. Uh, we have a conservation tech program at Nahant, and I always ask the director, is it doom and gloom talk day? Because he talks about, you know, like, how bad we are in the world and things like that. And his students just look at me like, what is she talking about? I'm like, you'll find out. Don't worry, you'll find out. Allison, what's your smell today? So I think that some people would agree, but these past few days it's been grapefruit and juniper berries. Nice. Because that's the flavor of my drink of choice for IAN. <laughs> Everyone give Allison I a round of applause. I love it. All right, it looks like we're rounding out on audience stories, but we have one more person signed up. You, you don't want to come? So, so oh, we, have sure a, we do have another person signed up. We're going to bring up Jessica Wagner. Everyone give Jessica Wagner a round of applause. As Jess comes up here, I just want to say Jess is my supervisor and boss, and she is probably one of the best, if not the best boss I've ever had in my life. So everyone give her a round of applause for that. Oh, thanks, Tony. I don't know how to respond to that one. So Just tell me if you're on your favorite. Okay. Oh, well, I don't know if I can right now. You know, Jen's sitting in the room too, so, you know, you're one of my favorite naturalists. Yeah, there you go. There you go. So, love all these stories, you know, it makes us like think about all these experiences we've had, and I always think back, and I, my coworkers have heard this story a bunch of times, but uh, leading overnight trips, I, I think are really fun. You know, I think it really like gives the kids that, that extra experience, you know, not just that hour classroom program, and love doing it, um, but you know, I have this, this one trip that if it could go wrong, it went wrong. And, um, you know, it was a paddling trip. We went down the Maquoketa River in Jackson County. You know, just a one night, we're paddling, we get to the camp, we're setting up camp. Um, one girl, I'm not going to use some names, you know, she trips and falls, gash in her foot, get out the first aid kit, you know, clean it up the best you can. She's limping the rest of the trip, whatever. That's, that's minor, right? Um, you know, the, the day goes on. Oh, let's collect some firewood. The kids were great. They had this huge mound of firewood. Awesome. And we realized we ran out of water for cooking. And I was like, no problem. I've got two other adults with me. We've got our teacher extern and our, our summer intern. And so they were really nice to walk the mile out to where we did think to leave a car at a parking lot. And so they made the trek and drove to another nearby park with water hydrants. And while they're gone, gone, um, Apparently, I wasn't really looking or couldn't really see the sky to the north and the west, and uh, here comes in a, a thunderstorm. At first, you know, the kids are love it, right? Play outside in the rain. It's super fun. We're having a great time, and uh, then they're getting cold. Oh, let's go build that fire. Well, the nice pile of firewood is soaking wet, so no fire could get started. Uh, the kids are already in their second set of clothes, because, you know, when you're canoeing on the river, they don't exactly stay dry, so there's another set of cold cold, uh, wet clothes. And so tell the kids, well, just get your pajamas on. No big deal. You know, just get in your pajamas. And, um, 
uh, later, uh, I have a kid who's diabetic and uh, his mom talked to me about it beforehand. We had, you know, all is good, whatever. And he comes up to me and he's like, I can't find my stuff. I'm like, what? I can't find it. Okay. Well, he, super cool kid, in the beginning when we all introduce ourselves, um, you know, what's your name, where are you from, what's your favorite animal, I don't know, stuff like that, and something about you. And he shares with the whole group that he's diabetic and shows, you know, his little uh, pack and all his stuff. So he's, you know, like, this is me and this is cool. And so we, we share with the kids, hey, we need to find... Um, um, you know, his equipment. And so all the kids are helping, looking, this is great. And I kind of look at him and I say, how much time until I should get like really nervous? Because I'm, I'm nervous, but like how much time? He goes, probably about like a half hour. <laughs> um, you know what? Let's trek up to the bluff, try to get some cell reception. Let's call your mom. Let's, let's do that. So we trek up the hill, call his mom, I send him with a couple of the other kids. These are middle schoolers. I somewhat trust him. Hey, will you guys go walk with him out to the parking lot, meet his mom? Okay, that's good. Um, then uh, later that night, get everybody in their tents. I'm hoping I can get some, some sleep. And a uh, little girl comes up to me. Um, my tent mate isn't doing very well. Okay. Um, a little bit of an anxiety attack. So try to calm her down. Not possible. Find out she has medication and she didn't bring it. Okay, let's make the trek up the bluff. Call your parents, figure out how to handle this. They decide to come pick her up. It's about midnight. So we make the mile trek out to the parking lot, meet her parents. So she takes off. Um, I don't know where I was like thinking at that point, like, hey, this trip's going all right. This is all right. You know, not the end of the world, right? <laughs> A few minor things going on. And uh, Later that night, um, it starts to just pour and just pour. And I'm thinking about our canoes. And they were just on, like, this little bitty sandbar. And I was like, what are the chances the river would come up? What are the chances? It didn't, but in my mind, it was going to. So at 3 in the morning, I'm out there tying off the canoes, making sure they don't float down the river in this massive, you know, thunderstorm. And so anyway, all this, all this happens. Probably the one that gave me the most uh, stress was the, the diabetic, you know, not having uh, uh, stuff for that. But anyway, um, next day, man, we paddle out. We get to the nature center. I'm like, I just need to go home and go get some sleep, you know. And kids are getting picked up by the parents, and, you know, they're asking, oh, how was it, how was it? And I was just like, oh, my God, this was like a disaster. And the kids are like, it was the best trip ever. We got to play in the woods, and we got to swim in the river. And I was like, oh, yeah, they don't see all of that stuff. Yeah, best trip ever. <laughs> all right. What's your smell? Yeah, this is an interesting question. I'll be honest, you guys gave me some time here as I'm thinking about it. And I don't know if I have a smell, but yesterday, sitting in sessions all day and then walking outside, and it was like 50-some degrees and sunny, and it was beautiful. And I was like, ah, the smell of outside. <laughs> Just That's outside. Smell. Just Great outside. smell. <laughs> Love it. Thank you so much, Jess. All right, we do have a little bit more time here. If anybody else would like to come up and share a story. We have um, time for a real quick one. Yeah, Michael's got one. Um, and then I have a short, it's like really not even nature related, but it's pretty funny. One of my students said it to me, so. Take a seat, sir. All right. Right here. Yeah, okay. talk, talk into it. Talk into it, okay. 
All right, so one time when I was at, um, oh, sorry, I'm Michael Mass, and I work for Buchanan County. I've been there for, as a naturalist, about six or seven years, and I was doing a presentation, not presentation, but we went to the state fair for our county, and I brought along a salamander, and I was talking to people randomly throughout the state fair. And you know, there was a lot of people in the state fair coming up to your booth, looking at your stuff, doing all the things. And I had this, I'd say he was probably about 10 years old. He came up, he was checking out the salamander. I was talking to him a little bit about it. And somehow we got on the topic of praying mantis. I don't entirely know why, but we did. And he ended up well, we were talking a little bit back and forth about it and, you know, what happens and all of that stuff. And the mom was standing kind of over his shoulder listening to. And I said, you know, what happens to the, to the males after they mate with the females? And he was 10. And I was like, well, you know, like after the males mate and stuff, then the female eats the male. And, and the mom turns around and she looks at me. She's like, you can't tell that to my kid. And I'm like, um... Okay, I'm really sorry about that, but you know that's that's nature. That's how that's how it works. And and um, she was definitely. I'm used to very rural communities because my county that I live in is a pretty small county. And I saw that she had on a West Des Moines shirt, so you know, very urban. So yeah, sorry for West Des Moines. Don't mean to point you out, but sorry. But that's that's my story. Nice Thank you, and short and sweet. So. What you smell? Uh, just going out in the fall time, you know, walking crushed through the woods. Yeah, crushed nice. leaves, definitely. Very good. Awesome. Cool. Thank, Thank you. you. So Thank Cass, what do you think we should round her out here? Yeah, I just want to share my story real quick because it's just kind of funny. It's literally not even nature-related other than taking a program into a classroom. So this was a couple weeks ago, and I walk into a first-grade classroom, um, and there's a lot of disruptive students in this classroom. Um, it's important to know that two days prior, I had accidentally shaved off half of my eyebrow. I don't want to talk about it. And uh, so my eyebrows were wild, which I draw them on most of the time anyway. And I get compliments. People tell me they look good. Keep them to yourself if you disagree. And uh, so I walk in, and I have a knee on the floor. The other one's propped up, and I'm opening my program box. And this fir first grader comes over to me, slaps a hand on either side of my face, and goes, those are fake. And then proceeds to rub off my eyebrows in front of the whole class. So, and I was like, you're right. The teacher's like, I don't know how to help you. I'm like, yeah, just let it happen. So that's my story. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Yeah. No eyebrows for critter cast. So, all right. Well, thank you guys all so, so much. This was such a wonderful experience. And every year I come to IAN, um, I'm just blown away by the connections and then it sounds cheesy, but the one force that we are literally all bonded by is nature and that goes beyond us educating. It's, it's a spiritual thing for me. So thank you guys so much for being here. Everything happens for a purpose. Everything has a purpose, happens for a reason. Thank you so, so much. Thank you. Woo. Oh, guess our tagline. Thanks for crossing streams with us and remember, um, always cross streams with a buddy and leave only footprints. Bye guys. Bye. Thanks for listening to Crossing Streams. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to tell all your friends and follow us on Instagram at the Crossing Streams Podcast. 